Chapter 9, Part 1 of Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter 9 The Concentration Camps. Part 1. On the basis of statements published in the press, the total number of political prisoners in Hitler's Germany at the beginning of June 1933 must be put at about 60 to 70,000. Of this total, between 35 and 40,000 men and women have been taken to concentration camps. It goes without saying that there is no legal justification for the establishment of concentration camps. There are no laws or regulations determining the rights of prisoners in concentration camps, nor is there any law or regulation governing the length of their detention in the camps. Till our leader takes pity on them. The Neue Zürcher Zeitung in an article on the concentration camps in Germany, published on May 8, 1933, states that the prisoners will be divided into two groups, those whom it is easy and those whom it is difficult to train as citizens, and that the former will be kept in the camps one year, the latter three years. But this is merely the personal opinion of the reporter, not an official statement. Banishment to the concentration camps and also the length of the period of detention are entirely determined by the arbitrary will of the fascist chiefs, central and local. Lieutenant Kaufmann, one of the Nazi controllers of the concentration camp at Heuberg in Baden, put the position very clearly in an interview which he gave at the end of April to a reporter of the Danish paper, Politiken. In reply to the question, how long will you keep the prisoners here, the lieutenant replied, quote, till our leader takes pity on them, end quote. The Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung of April 30, 1933, confirms this statement by Lieutenant Kaufmann, insofar as it says, quote, it will be a long while before many of the prisoners get their freedom, for the will of the prisoners is not easy to break. End quote. If I even knew why I am here. The men and women who have been interned in the concentration camps are completely innocent, even within the meaning of the principle of the fascist state. All socialist and communist workers and leaders who, in the government's view, have done anything against the laws of the fascist regime, are not put into the concentration camps, but are locked up in prisons and penal settlements and brought before special courts and sentenced. The people who are interned in the concentration camps are only men and women whose political views are regarded by the fascists as suspect though even the fascist prosecutors cannot find any pretext 
for a criminal prosecution against them. Most of them were arrested immediately after the burning of the Reichstag and the elections on March 5th, so that they could not conceivably have carried on any activity hostile to the fascist regime. Towards the end of April, the Politiken published some letters from prisoners in concentration camps. One young worker writes, If I only knew why I am here. A doctor writes, Only anonymous and personal revenge can be the reason for my imprisonment. Another man writes, I have nothing to reproach myself with. I have no idea why I was arrested. The trivial things which suffice to bring people into the concentration camps are well illustrated by the case of the Jewish religious teacher Karl Krebs, who is a citizen of Czechoslovakia and has been in Germany since he was a year old. The following order was issued for his arrest. Quote, the Jewish teacher of religion, Karl Krebs, of Dinkelsbühl, a Czechoslovakian subject, is to be arrested. On March 29, 1933, Krebs killed some hens, creating great dissatisfaction among the population. Although this was not a criminal act, in view of the great excitement among the population in connection with the atrocity campaign of the Jews abroad, Krebs should not have carried out such an act. The excitement among the population is so great that Krebs must be put under arrest in order to protect him from attacks. The order for his protective arrest is issued in agreement with the Commissioner Burgomaster Itemeyer in Wassertrudigen, Dinkelsbühl, March 29, 1933. End quote. Krebs is still in prison. What the concentration camps are for. Captain Buck, Nazi chief of the Heuberg concentration camp, told the reporter of the Politiken that the purpose of the concentration camps was, quote, to punish the prisoners, end quote. In some of the camps, as prisoners who have been released report, the prisoners have to register as convict X. In accordance with the regulations for penal settlements, their heads have even been shaved. The London Daily Telegraph of April 27, 1933, confirms this in a cable from its Vienna correspondent, R.G. Goethe. The convicts have not seen a judge and will not see one. The National Socialist leaders have repeatedly stated that internment in the concentration camps is a purely administrative measure, that it is a question of protective detention. The Nazis told the Politiken correspondent, quote, We have had to intern many of these individuals in order to protect them from the vengeance of the people. They would have been lynched by the patriotic mob, who regard these criminals as the instigators of the November Revolution. End quote. This statement is an outright lie. The extraordinarily strict watch on the camps is not for the sake of protecting the interned socialists and communists. The machine guns in front of the camps are to make any attempts at flight or rescue impossible. Wherever there have been so-called demonstrations against arrested persons, 
the tumult and rioting has been organized by the fascists. The transfer of the former Social Democratic Minister, Romelli, to a concentration camp, which was organized as a great popular entertainment, shows this clearly. The Volkischer Beobachter of May 17, 1933, published the following report, headed In the Pillory. Quote, On Tuesday, the former state president and minister, Dr. Adam Ramelli, recently president of the German Consumers Purchasing Cooperative Society in Hamburg, who a few days ago was brought from there to Karlsruhe at the request of the government, was taken in an open police car from the prison at the western end of the town to the office of the chief of police. With Ramele were also Stenz, whom he had placed in the Ministry of the Interior, the former Baden councillor and member of the Reichstag, Marum, the editor of the Karlsruhe social democratic paper Volksfreund, Grunenbaum, the former police commissioner, Fuhrer and the Baden leaders of the Reichsbanner and the Iron Front, as well as other members of the Social Democratic Party. From the police headquarters, they were then taken to a penal settlement at Kieslaw, now a concentration camp. A gigantic crowd had assembled outside the prison and greeted the prisoners with jeers and catcalls. A double row of Nazi protective corpsmen marched with linked arms in front of the first police car, on which the prisoners were seated bareheaded, to clear the street. A second police car followed the first, filled with stormtroopers. The procession was also flanked by stormtroopers, and others brought up the rear. The police cars drove quite slowly through a double wall of onlookers, often eight deep. Catcalls and abuse greeted the prisoners all the way along the streets. The song of the miller was also sung everywhere, by way of mocking Ramelli, who had once been a miller's laborer and had forbidden the singing of this song in Baden. The procession passed in front of the Diet buildings and the government offices, as well as the former trade union building, at each of which a short halt was made. Along the way, bands also played the song of the miller. The concourse was so immense that the whole of the tramway and motor traffic was stopped. A number of persons who shouted, Red Front, were arrested on the spot and taken along in the second police car. End quote. The report shows clearly that this was an organized demonstration with carefully prepared shouting. In short, that it was one of those spectacles which the Reich Minister of Propaganda, Goebbels, uses to entertain the crowd and to make it, for a while, forget its hunger. Protective Arrest Protective detention in Germany is strictly governed by the law of 1849 on the restriction of personal freedom. By this law, only persons who are themselves threatened may be taken into protective arrest. This must not be continued longer than is necessary for the purpose, and in no case longer than three months. 
the law provides for the lodging of appeals and a decision by the courts. But all those who are now imprisoned were arrested not in their own interest, but to protect the new rulers. They are being kept longer than three months, and they have no right to appeal. 45 Concentration Camps How many concentration camps are there, and how many people are detained in them? The German government, probably with good reason, avoids giving any exact information. On the basis of a few reports in the German press, occasional statements by Nazi leaders, and visits of foreign journalists, it is possible to draw the conclusion that early in July 1933, there were 45 concentration camps with between 35,000 and 40,000 prisoners. The following are some of the camps. Dachau, near Munich, Bavaria, 5,000 prisoners. Heuberg, Upper Baden, 2,000 prisoners. Kislaw, near Buchsal, Baden, 100 prisoners. Rostadt, Baden, 300 prisoners. Bad Durheim, Baden, 500 prisoners. Waltz, 2,000 prisoners. Mülheim, Rhine, 2,000 prisoners. Hohenstein, Saxony, 800 prisoners. Ortenstein, Zwickau, Saxony, 200 prisoners. Zittau, Saxony, 300 prisoners. Ordruf, Thuringia, 1,200 prisoners. Oranienburg, near Berlin, 1,500 prisoners. Sonnenburg, Prussia, 414 prisoners. Senelager, Potterbern, 900 men, 30 women. Esterwagen, Westphalia, 500 prisoners. Vilsede, Lunenberger Heide, 2,000 prisoners. Königstein, Saxony, 200 prisoners. A concentration camp at Papenburg, Emsland, has been equipped for 4,000 prisoners. Other camps are at Ginsheim and Rodelheim, near Frankfurt, Langen and Osthofen in Hessen, Kassel, Fulsbüttel and Wittmor near Hamburg, Bremen, Braunschweig, Grundal near Konigsberg, and another in East Prussia, Schleswig, Pomerania, Breslau. There are six camps in Brandenburg province, five in the Ruhr area, and a number in central Germany. The number of prisoners in these camps is not known. In the middle of May, the government decided to open 10 new concentration camps, the Frankfurter Zeitung of May 30, 1933, reports that a second concentration camp will be opened at Heuberg for such prisoners as are not to be released before the winter. Women and Intellectuals in the Camps There are hundreds of women among the prisoners in the concentration camps. The communist women members of the Reichstag and of the state diets insofar as they were found, were first taken to the women's prison in the Barnumstrasse in Berlin, before they were taken to the concentration camp. 
This prison has been organized as a collecting and transit station for arrested women. Early in June, a special concentration camp for women was organized in South Germany. An official announcement dated June 8, 1933, states, quote, A detention camp for women has been organized at Gotzel, near Gomund in Württemberg. End quote. A second concentration camp for women was opened in Saxony a few days later. All reports agree that the women in the prisons and concentration camps are being subjected to exceptionally bad treatment and persecution. All kinds of views and professions and ages are represented among the prisoners in the concentration camps. Communists, anarchists, social democrats, adherents of the Center Party, pacifists, Jews, young and old people, workers, intellectuals, artists, students, members of parliamentary bodies, lawyers, doctors, writers, tradesmen, well-known names and unknown names. Martin Buber, the gray-haired Zionist poet, Karl von Ossietzky, the revolutionary pacifist editor of the Weltbühne, the anarchist Eric Musam, the Bavarian member of parliament, Auer, the Democratic member of the Reichstag, Fischer, the Social Democrat members of the Reichstag, Rossmann and Pfluger, the barrister Hans Litten, the doctors Schmidtke and Bernheim, and many others of similar standing. The truth breaks through. The Hitler government has done its best to conceal the conditions in the concentration camps. The Committee for the Victims of Fascism has nevertheless succeeded in obtaining from prisoners who have succeeded in getting away, and from relatives of prisoners, a considerable amount of material which throws light on the terrible condition of the prisoners in the concentration camps. In spite of the Nazi guards and barbed wire, the truth has broken through to the outside world. Foreign journalists have been allowed to see some of the model camps, such as those at Heuberg, Dachau, and Oranienburg. Nazi stormtroopers accompanied the press representatives everywhere. There was no opportunity of separate conversation with any of the prisoners. The descriptions given by these correspondents are therefore general impressions of the arrangement of the camps rather than observations of actual conditions. But where the journalists were able, even though in a very restricted way, to describe the objective conditions, or where, as in the case of Edmund Taylor of the Chicago Daily Tribune, they were able to put a few questions to prisoners in a foreign language, the truth also comes to light in the newspaper reports. Anyone who wants to help get the truth about the German concentration camps must support the demand for an international commission of members of all the relief committees to have the right to visit every camp, not under the control of the commandants of the camps and of Nazi guards, but to make their visits without warning, with the right to investigate conditions in every detail and to talk to every prisoner without interference.
the convict prisons of Sonnenburg and Fusbüttel were closed down some years ago because they were buildings belonging to the Middle Ages and were absolutely unhygienic from a modern standpoint. Even habitual criminals were no longer sent there. In Fulbutel, there are no closets and no drains. Detention in this prison is acute torture, particularly in the hot part of the year. But these are the prisons which the Hitler government has now established as concentration camps. Among the prisoners at Zonenburg are Litten, Kasper, Asietsky, and Mulsum. The concentration camp at Zittau was formerly a bookshop, so that the comforts of this camp can be imagined. The concentration camp at Dachau, according to a report in the Daily Telegraph of April 25, 1933, consists of old half-decayed huts. Oranienburg is the model camp which has been shown to a number of foreign journalists and of which the Nazis have broadcast photographs. An abandoned factory, formerly a brewery. The works have fallen into ruin. The windows are simply broken glass. The yard is covered with grass and weeds. This is how the Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung of April 30, 1933, describes Oranienburg. We are in possession of a confidential report from a German woman journalist who accompanied a foreign correspondent as interpreter when he visited the camp at Oranienburg. Quote, Only one single pump in the courtyard. The prisoners, of whom there are between 100 and 200, have to wash in five old wash basins which stand in the courtyard. The rooms where they sleep are old workshops which are in ruins. A few inches of dirty straw cover the cement floor. End quote. The Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung of April 30, 1933, confirms that the prisoners have to sleep on straw. In Dachau, according to the description given by Gide, in the Daily Telegraph of April 25, 1933, 54 prisoners sleep in a small hut on rough wooden boards covered with straw. The interpreter, who has already been mentioned, describes the appalling conditions in such a dormitory at Oranienburg. Quote, Already by evening, when the prisoners are locked in, the place stinks as if a herd of wild animals had spent the night there. But it is impossible to describe the air after it has been slept in by fifty or more men whose clothes are unwashed and whose sweating bodies fill the room with vapor. End quote. The Model Camp at Heuberg The concentration camp at Heuberg is the showplace among the camps. It is exhibited to all foreign reporters who, for the most part, describe the external appearance of the camp and its environment, but do not deal with the internal rooms and dormitories. At the end of May, the Frankfurter Zeitung published a detailed report on a visit to the Heuberg camp, which testifies to the extremely close guard kept on the prisoners 
and the military drill imposed on them. The young Nazis are forbidden to enter into conversation with prisoners, owing to the fear that they might be influenced politically. The report runs, quote, The old parade ground is now used as a concentration camp. Going in through a lattice fence, we could see the whole camp spread out before us. First, there are the offices, a post office and the officials' quarters, with little gardens, then left and right the former quarters of the Reichswehr soldiers, here at a height of 2,700 feet, where there is little green to be seen, 2,000 prisoners are herded together in small rooms. The houses are shut in by iron railings. Tall barbed wire fences run round the buildings in a double line, so that there is a space between them. The concentration camp is divided into sections. The stormtroopers are on guard, with rifles, by the iron railings. Both sides of the barbed wire fences are guarded by auxiliary police. The windows are empty. It is forbidden to look out. At night, searchlights play on the sides of the building. Each building is divided into two sections, A and B. There is one latrine between them in the courtyard. Left and right of the staircase on each floor are large rooms, and between them the former sergeant major's room, now labeled control officers. There are three of these, one storm troop officer for each of the large rooms, and a police sergeant who maintains contact with the police officer in charge. At the entrance to the prisoner's room, there is a register containing the names of the 36 prisoners, name, place of birth, address. The stormtroop officer pulls out his key. We hear, look out, shouted inside, and the voices in the room are silent. Chairs are pushed back. The prisoners rise to their feet when the control officer enters. The prisoners sit on little stools at long, smooth tables, playing chess. They have made the pieces themselves. There are practically no papers or books to be seen. Each room is provided with one newspaper, which is usually read aloud by someone. There are small, square cupboards along the wall, in which eating utensils are kept. While the young Nazi auxiliary police, all of whom come from the countryside, are forbidden to have any dealings with the prisoners, the Nazi officers are charged with the duty of bringing their political influence to bear on the prisoners in the room under their control. Correspondence is controlled by the officials. Each prisoner can write a letter or card once a fortnight. The officer in charge has to determine from these letters the general conduct of the prisoners and official and private conversations with them, which of the prisoners show any prospect of changing their political views. End quote. We can supplement this report with information given us in a letter from the Hoiberg camp. The writer's name cannot be disclosed for the reason that he is still in the camp. Quote, there are 2,000 comrades in Hoiberg, most of them communists. They are kept in seven or eight two-story buildings. Each double block and single block are separated off by barbed wire fences two meters high. 
In rooms 12 meters by 8, 30 men are housed. In the top rooms, 4 to 12 men according to the size of the rooms. The beds, in two tiers, consist of a straw sack and two blankets. There are no baths. The reporter of De Telegraph, the Amsterdam paper, says in a report of April 5th that the prisoners get a bath once a month. Evidently, this does not apply to all prisoners. The editors. Soap is not provided. Anyone who wants it must buy it. Linen is not provided, and there is no washing. Towels are in short supply, one between two prisoners. Open razors are forbidden. Shaving is difficult, so beards are becoming the latest achievement of the German awakening. End quote. Captain Buck, who is in control of the camp, told the Politiken reporter that Hoiberg is not a sanatorium, either in comfort or in hygiene. He is right. These camps are breeding grounds of disease, and but few will leave them sound. The Guards Round the Camp The prisoners in the camps are kept under extraordinarily strict control. Nazi stormtroopers are patrolling everywhere, armed with rubber truncheons, rifles, and revolvers. Many of the patrols are accompanied by police dogs. The official photographs show this. It is confirmed by the Politiken, the Telegraph, and the Daily Telegraph, and by every prisoner's letters. In the Daily Telegraph of April 27, 1933, Gede reports that the concentration camp at Dachau is surrounded by a high-wire fence, which is charged with high-voltage electricity. Machine guns are kept ready at the main posts. The correspondents of the Telegraph and Politiken were struck by the mass of barbed wire and railings from which escape was impossible. At night, the camp is lighted up by gigantic searchlights. The light prevents the prisoners from sleeping. The Telegraph of April 5, 1933 says, quote, If anyone opens a window to get a breath of air, he is shot at. End quote. The camp at Oranienburg has low factory walls on one side, and on the other, where the prisoners take exercise, quite low shrubbery. Do none of the prisoners try to get away? The journalist who visited the camp with a foreign correspondent put this question. The reply, quote, There is no danger of flight here. The guards are armed and have strict instructions to shoot at once if any of the prisoners cross the boundary marked by the bushes. Besides, why should they try to get away? Things are all right for them here. Even when they are allowed to go, they don't want to. End quote. The questioner. Quote, but that is impossible. Unquote. The reply. Quote, the day before yesterday, we received instructions to set one man free. He would not go and had to be taken to the station by force. Ask the others whether this is so or not. End quote. The journalist continues her report. Quote, it is a fact that there have been cases of prisoners not wanting their liberty. But why? The orders for release come as a rule at night or at a very early hour of the morning, 
At that time, it is easier to shoot a prisoner on the way. And then the following day, the papers report, Marxist shot when trying to escape. End quote. In fact, these low bushes are meant to tempt prisoners to flight. But flight means death. Grouping of Prisoners The arbitrary decisions which have brought the concentration camps into being have also divided the prisoners into three categories. A. Easily reformable. German nationals, barbarian guards, and political followers. B. Not easily reformable. C. Unreformable. Communist leaders and officials and intellectuals of left views are put in the last category, and the worst treatment is meted out to them. In the report on the Heuberg camp, which has already been quoted, this fact is confirmed. Quote, Prisoners who, on the basis of documents and reports, are classified as unreformable are put into the old building, numbers 19 and 23. There, everything is much stricter. The controlling officer does not have any conversation with them. The time allowed for exercise is restricted to 10 minutes. Permission to smoke and talk is given less frequently, and they are not allowed to work, which, with the other prisoners, gives the opportunity for a few hours of physical activity and entitles them to extra food, end quote. The commandants of the camps compete with each other in inventing more and more ingenious punishments. Prisoners have their free time shortened. Permission to write letters is granted less often or taken away altogether. They are not permitted to have visitors for a long period. They are forbidden to take part in the general conversation during their free time. They are isolated and particularly sharply controlled. They are forbidden to smoke. They are given long periods of arrest with only 10 minutes exercise or are confined in a dark room. Disciplinary punishments, which are frequently used, are additional exercise, continued for several hours, drilling, longer work hours, and particularly unaccustomed and irritating work. In some of the concentration camps, Prisoners against whom the Nazis have a particular grudge have even been kept in chains. According to the Daily Telegraph report of April 27, 1933, refractory prisoners, for example at Dachau, are not allowed out of the tiny huts and may not go into the open air. The report of the woman journalist already referred to describes a cell in the Oranienburg camp in which, quote, not easily reformable, unquote, prisoners are kept. Quote, a hole in the wall, shut in by an iron door, and without any other ventilation but the door. We were shown one of these rooms empty. But this was an hour after we had begun to inspect the camp, so that evidently the prisoners had first been taken out. Then of the 120 prisoners in the camp, 30 were missing. Were they perhaps behind that iron door, which we were not allowed to examine more closely? End quote. At Heuberg, an elderly lawyer complained of the bad food. For making this complaint, he was condemned to sleep 15 nights on the roof of the barracks without any shelter.
Captain Buck, however, assured the Telegraph reporter, April 5, 1933, that there were no detention cells in the Heuberg camp. Manhandled and Beaten All reports are unanimous on the fact that the unimprovable prisoners are being treated in such a way that their physical ruin is inevitable. The aim is the physical extermination of the organizers of the German working class. Captain Buck assured the representative of the Politiken that no one was mishandled in the concentration camps. Quote, no blows, no punishments, end quote, he asserted. But the government's press itself indicates that this is not true. The Angriff of April 1st writes, quote, A Reichsbanner man was interrogated. He gave an insolent reply. However, a friendly but pointed look at his own rubber truncheon sufficed to bring home to him the seriousness of the position. End quote. The maltreatment that must go on in this camp if a glance at a rubber truncheon is enough to bring home to a prisoner the seriousness of the position is confirmed by the Deutsche Allgemeine Zeitung of April 30th, 1933. Quote, for it was only by laying hold of them and carrying through the interrogation with merciless severity that we have succeeded in discovering the underground terror almost to its full extent. But the resistance of individual prisoners has still to be broken. End quote. This report confirms that torture is used in the interrogations. We have a report of the correspondent of the Chicago Daily Tribune, Edmund Taylor. He managed to speak in English and French with some of the prisoners in the Heuberg camp, so that the stormtroopers accompanying him did not know what was said. Many of the prisoners expressly stated that in that camp severe mishandling was a frequent occurrence. Similar reports come from the Schloss Ortenstein camp near Zwickau. Visitors to this camp have declared on oath that they saw bleeding wheels and green and blue patches on the arms and hands of prisoners. There can be no doubt whatever that these are the result of maltreatment. The mishandling was particularly severe when the stormtroopers were in charge of the prisoners. When they were replaced by police, the position became more bearable. But the stormtroopers have been put into the Ortenstein camp again since the beginning of May. End of chapter 9, part 1